Okay, so let's turn to Acts 12. So get there. And we're going to keep going. Does anyone, um, remember I guess it would have been two weeks ago, does anyone want to give the, the rundown of last, the last part of chapter 11? We talked about a church in what town or city? Antioch. What was, what was unique about the church at Antioch? Do what? They were. I thought you said they were the first Christians. I was like, maybe, maybe two. That might have been it too. I don't know. Yeah, they were, the, they were the, I thought that's what you said. They were the first to be called Christians. That's right. That's right. What else? What else about them was unique? Right. They were, they were Hellenists, right? What, what was different about being a Gentile then? Why was that different and unique? Why was it mentionable? We're going to make you tell us the whole story. Go ahead. You just go ahead. Right. At this time, most were Jewish, right? And when, when these people became following the way and they started a, a group together and started gathering together, who went down to check and make sure it was, it was good? Do you remember? Barnabas? Who else accompanied him later? Right, right. Paul comes. So it's this unique group of people with different with different culture, right? So a Hellenist culture, how would that have been different from a Jewish culture? This is a super easy one. This is like a soft toss. Is, you can answer almost anything and be right. You could be like, they eat different di- dinners. And I'd be like, that's correct. So you can just say whatever. <laughs> what would have been different? Huh? Language, okay, great. What else? What'd you say? Number of gods they worship, right? Or that they appease, or they allow to be worshipped, right? It's a very, um, a very, uh, I don't know if gracious is the right way. What word am I looking for? A monotheistic culture, and everyone gave each other freedom in that. Right? They're like, yeah, you worship what you're going to worship, I'll worship what I'm going to worship, totally fine. Right? What else? What else would have been different amongst the Hellenists than the Jews? Mm-hmm. Rituals would have been different. The way they did meals would have been different. <clears throat> That's exactly right. The things they ate, the clean and unclean things that they were served. Not even from the food blanket or whatever you said, the food sheet or whatever. <sighs> okay, that's good. No, that's, that's good. All that's right. Um, let's keep going in that. And they're talking again in the midst of the church kind of, of going as global as it can right now, right? It's going to different cultures. It's going to different areas. It's going to different peoples now, which again is rare, and it, that's not something that was common. Um, if you notice too, some of the, the more unique stories we've come to along in Acts is when it goes to a different person, right? We have this, this Ethiopian on the road, right? And that's amazing. We have the centurion. It's this groundbreaking story, this new idea. And then now we have a whole group of people that before believed differently, um, thought differently, different language, different cultures as a whole, and now are starting to gather and follow the ways of Jesus, right? And the teachings of this Christ. And let's move on. Um, In verse 1, And about that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on those who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John with the sword, 
And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. And this was during the days of the unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. I'm just going to keep reading. We'll read the length of the story here. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and the light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. I like that. That's it's like me, asleep. He's like, Peter. <laughs> He's asleep, or the light doesn't do it. So he has to strike him on the side, like, get up, or however that. I don't even know if he had a thing, or he punches him. I like it better, him punching him, personally. Like a college buddy that's like, oh, wake up, you know, like that. So anyway, he strikes him. Sorry. That's, that's not even the last funny part of this. Anyway, he strikes him and wakes him up, saying, get up quickly. Let's go, right? Come on. Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. The angel said to him, dress yourself, put on your sandals. Again, again, much like the story of my life. When I wake up, Lily's like, Let's go. <laughs> Please get your shoes on. Right? Just like the Evers boys that live in my house as well. Like, get your shoes on. Get your shirt on. You still have just your underwear on. You still have this. Let's go. We're leaving, right? He says, get your shoes on. Get your tunic on. Um, wrap the cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. And when they had passed the first and, first and second guard, they came out to the iron gate leading into the city. And it opened for them on its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I'm sure that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people they were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door on the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. And recognizing it was Peter's voice, in her joy, she didn't open the gate. Instead, running in to report that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And so they kept saying, well, then it is his angel, (laughs) which still is like, then go see it. If there's an angel there, that's cool too. Just go. Let's, this is, What are we talking about here? This is so interesting. You're out of your mind. She keeps insisting. They said, then it's his angel. But Peter continued knocking. No, really, please let me in. And when they opened it, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning with his hand for them to be silent, he described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers. What an understated sentence. There was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had happened to Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries in order that they be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Now this story is pretty rad. (laughs) Okay, pretty interesting. Um, You have just, again, going back through just the, the nuts and bolts of the story, you have him, Peter's asleep, he's, he's arrested. Okay, what happens first, though? The first thing we find in the story is James, John's brother, is killed with the sword by Herod. And we pass over this, and we're going to come back to that later, 
we pass over this and we think, I think in our heads that like, well, yeah, they're all martyred eventually, right? And so we treat it with this, I don't know, apathy, but it's just part of the story. We forget that he has a mother. We forget that his brother was close to him the whole time. We forget that all these people loved him very much and he walked with them for years, enjoying Jesus and seeing what Jesus has done. They do miracles together. All these things happen. And then all of a sudden, he's killed and it, it gets very real to them. I mean, it's, it's interesting to us here, and we can put ourselves there, but if it's John Bolware, it is a different thing for us. It's different. It matters, and that's what it's like. It's one of them, one of their people. And he gets killed by the sword, and then another one, one of the other leaders, gets arrested, and they're going to do the same to him, and they're even going to present him in front of the Jews because they were going to be glad about it. It was going to be exciting. It was going to be this thing that Herod got to make political points because he was now going to do something and appease these Jews who hated the way. So he was going to be able to say, yes, I'm going to rule over you more and more and more, but I'm going to give you a little of this. We're going to kill this guy you don't like, this dissident, this one, this heretic of Judaism. And then we're going to arrest the leader, the loudest one of them, and we're going to put him in prison the entire Passover so he can't enjoy this cultural you know, special holy holiday. We're going to leave him in prison. And then when it's over, we'll present him and we'll see what you want us to do, right? This plan. And then Peter is asleep. And, and it says in there that, that many of the followers spent their time praying about his release, right? As we would too, I hope, right? Someone comes and gets Todd and puts him in prison over Christmas, over the holiday, his family doesn't get to see him. He doesn't get to go to Houston and spend time with him. His father is advocating for him. We're all doing this. So yes, we are going to pray that something, that justice happens for Todd, right? That is going to be our move. And it would be. It would be our move. Yes, it would be. <laughs> it would be our move. And in the midst of that, Peter gets woken up in prison. He's had many a vision, right? He just got finished having the, uh, the food sheet come down from heaven. So he thinks maybe I'm being taught something. The angel has to wake him up, tell him to get dressed. Let's go. Let's get out of prison. It's okay. I'll learn what I need to know. What should I be learning now, right? He gets moved out of prison. Oh, what, what example am I? What is, what is God trying to tell me? And then he wakes up. He's like, oh, God's trying to tell me I'm out of prison. That's, God's getting me out of prison. It was an easy one. I'm, I'm out of prison now. And so it's in the cover of night. He's out of prison. The angel vanishes and so he says, oh, there's these group of believers that I know, I'll go to their house at night. And again, we're thinking of him like, he doesn't catch a bus and say where he's going and go there. It's not 2018. We have to think of this. He just gets out of a prison and has to just wander the streets looking for this house. Or wander, I mean, he probably knows where it is. So he goes there, he's headed that way under the cover of darkness, probably worried he's going to be captured again because everyone knows Peter. Everyone's ready for him tomorrow to possibly be executed. Goes and finds the house, knocks on the gate, and who comes to the door? You know? Rhoda. The servant girl comes to the door. And she gets excited because it's Peter. We've been praying for him to be for something. You know, maybe they've been praying that he would be released. Maybe they've been praying that Herod has mercy on him. Maybe they've been praying that, I mean, who knows? 
what the answer or what, what the, the words of their prayers are. Probably something like that. I would think that would be, I think, our prayers. And she goes and hears that it's Peter and gets excited, doesn't open the gate, but instead goes to the people and what do they do? They don't believe it. And they don't even not believe it. They believe it so little and it seems so ridiculous that that could happen that what do they do? What's their actual response? What's it say? They call her crazy. This is, and this is, this is so unique because this speaks to our condition so well as believers. We, okay, here, here's what's interesting. People are praying for Peter. Right? If, if this was the situation, and this was Todd, really, let's do this exercise, what would we be praying for Todd? If we, if we start having all night, no, we're coming up to the church every day, or to the church, we're coming to imagine our, or we're going to each other's houses, or we're still getting together, we're fasting and praying every day, so that Todd, what? What, seriously, would we be praying? That he gets released, what else would we maybe pray? Seriously. That what? That he's safe in prison, right? What else? That his family, right, is taken care of? That his family is okay? What else? Do what? That he would have peace there, knowing that, that God is in control of this thing, or that God may rescue him, or hope in that, right? Or the closeness of the Holy Spirit? I agree with that. What else? For him to not feel alone, right? What else? How would we, we pray for his release? Be honest. We would pray for a miracle for him to be released? I'd worry I wouldn't. I worry I would hope that somehow they would come to their senses and have a trial. I would hope that somehow really good people got put on the jury, people that were understanding. And they, I, would, I would worry that I would, not worry, I guess, I don't think that's a bad prayer, but I don't think I would be like, get him out of prison with an angel, right? <laughs> probably not. I probably wouldn't, being very honest. I should have. Apparently, <laughs> maybe that should be my move, Right? So we would be actively praying for him, right? I would hope that we would teach our kids to do that, that we would teach them how to pray for him. And why would we pray for him? That sounds simple, but why would we? Right, but, but even more than that, we're saying, you're right, we want him to live and not die. We're saying our prayer could do something about the situation, right? That's, that's usually why we pray, Right? And, and if, if anything, we usually try to like muster up some faith that that's true. But why would we pray for something, for, for him to have peace, if we didn't think our praying could join God in giving him peace, right? That's why you pray for things, right? If you have a major decision, should I buy a house or not? You pray, hopefully, God, tell us what the best decision is. Tell us what's right, right? I remember doing this seven years ago. The reason I prayed it is because I thought it mattered. I thought it would help. I thought it was the right thing. I thought I would receive an answer, right? And, and if, if I trust that God's going to do that, why would I pray in the first place? Honest, honest question. Why would I? If you have a major decision, if God's in control, why would you pray for an answer? Right, you're maybe joining God's peace as God acts in your life, right? Okay, what else? Real talk about prayer for us today, real talk. What else? 
If someone's sick in the hospital, why would you pray for them to get well? Why? He wants us to ask. Right? I agree. I think God wants us to be a part of that. He wants us to trust that he is powerful enough to do things or trust that this is what God does want for that reason. Why else? Yeah. Right. You want to be a part of it somehow. And you're at a loss. You don't do heart surgeries. I mean, you can't drive them there even. We might not be able to do anything else other than, and it's like, I, I can do this though. I can be with them in this. And I think for a lot of us, whether we can muster up the faith in the moments or not, we pray because we feel like, God will act in the midst of it. We pray because we feel like in doing that, something mysterious and beautiful and obedient and magical happens. And like Jesus told these people that ripped a hole in a roof and sent their buddy down, they're like, your faith is going to heal your friend now. And then other times, this, this lady is just witty. And Jesus is like, ah, your wit, I like it. <laughs> and then other times, He says, oh, because you have prayed, I will answer. Sometimes people don't pray at all, and God just does what God wants to do anyway, right? All these things happen, and so there's no formula to this. But we pray because we hope it will matter. We do, right? Or at the least, we want fellowship with God in the midst of something. And that's why I asked, what's, remember a time when you like pleaded with God for something? And how did that feel? What was the emotions from you? What did God do in the midst of that? Did God help you believe more strongly? Did God let it go and go and go and go and go and go a long time and you're learning and learning and learning along the way? You're still pleading and pleading and pleading. Is he drawing you closer in the midst of that? Did God answer right away in the midst of your prayer? And then you were like, oh my goodness. And in our ridiculousness, not even thank him after, what was it for us? What was it? But bottom line, We pray because we are hoping it's going to help. God asks us to. We're pleading with God to do something. We have nothing else to do, and we say, God, really, you have to do this. Please help us, right? And doesn't it say a ton about our condition that in this type of prayer, probably for this person, the person knocks at the door, and the one that tells them God has answered our prayer is mocked and ridiculed, and said, you must be crazy. That's not the way God was going to rescue Peter. Person, he's not just at the door. I mean, I don't know what they were expecting. No, he was going to go to trial tomorrow and be delivered in front of all the people at the trial and be seen as just and righteous, and justice was going to prevail. He's not at the door, you crazy person. You thought God was going to send an angel and rescue him? Oh, get out of here. God doesn't do that, right? In the midst of them hoping and praying for an answer, something is happening to where they don't believe. And I I really want to know again, why do you think they didn't believe? Yeah. I'm with you on that. 
does. It puts it in a very serious perspective. What else? Maybe they just didn't have enough of it. Yeah. Right. And here's what's beautiful about that. In the midst of this either lack of faith or confusion or whatever, God still gets Peter out. Right? Apparently, they didn't need a certain amount for God to do a miraculous thing. So that, we can, we can exhale a little bit on that. Okay? Being real honest. But what else? Why in your life would you be one of these people that are like, that's not Peter. It's obviously not Peter. We're praying for him. He's in prison. Why would that be you? You'd pray within the system. Exactly. Or you'd be like, you have to go back. Now you're going to get arrested again. Go back in there. Yeah. <laughs> Let's try to make this right. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. I, would, I, I still pray within systems to make things work. I mean, to be real honest too, I, I spend much more time praying that doctors would be wise in a hospital rather than for healing. And I don't like that about myself. I don't. I want to learn to pray differently. And even as large or as, you know, big or whatever, quote unquote, you want to say, I want to pray in the system and out of the system. I do. I want to. But I'm with you. I I think that would be a main reason I wouldn't. What else? Y'all were going to... Stealing everything about the last 10 minutes of this discussion. But that's fine. No, it's perfect. No, I'm kidding. I I love it. Seriously, I I agree with you. Do you think they prayed for James? Probably. What happened to James? He died. They, I doubt they prayed less fervently. I doubt less of them did. I doubt, you know that they didn't think it would work, and that's why, you know, it's, I, don't, I don't think it was the mechanics of it, right? And we may all nod and say, of course not. It's not how hard you pray or little you pray or whatever. I mean, look at the story. But still, we doubt that. When we're in the intensity of prayer, and we are hopeful, and we are trying to muster up the hope, really, really, a lot of us get sent back to times we've prayed, and we didn't get what we were hoping for, or things didn't work out. And so we think, well, see, I need someone else to be praying about this because I'm obviously not the good prayer. I don't have enough of blank. Enough hope. I didn't pray enough. I didn't fast correctly. I don't have enough faith. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. And so the next time it comes around, we're fearful. And we're not fearful maybe that God wouldn't even act. Sometimes we are. Really, we're fearful for the feeling that comes to us when God doesn't act the way we want it. We're fearful for what that will do to us deep down. Fearful for what that will do to our faith at the brink of it. It's already shaky, maybe. 
Maybe our faith was like by a thread anyway. And so if we have another disappointment from God, we're worried the thread's just going to snap and that's it. And honestly, that is such an interesting thing to even, because I really do agree with you. I think that's actually the biggest fear of us. It's not even, we do fear that God would act or not, but I think even more than that, we fear our reaction to God acting or not. And I, I worry that really we're concerned for this bit of faith we can muster and we don't want it crushed, some of us. And so it makes us fearful to pray. It makes us untrusting when we do pray. It makes us not hope for the most ridiculously beautiful, amazing outcome. We hope for just pretty good, right? Maybe he'll just let him stay in prison and he can write letters from there and do that, you know? Maybe he'll have that much mercy on him, right? Why else? Why else? I mean, sometimes it feels there's this sort of like perverted sense of like satisfaction and just feeling the way that you feel without any relief from it. Right. It's like, yeah, like let him stay in prison. (laughs) We get to be resentful and angry about it. And like there's something about that that we don't want to let go of. It's kind of delicious sometimes, isn't it? To be the victim of something. Yeah. A lot of us, okay, here's, here's exactly what I think about that when, when I hear someone say it, because I'm with you. I hear people talk about they wish their relationship with their parent was better sometimes. And, they, and I'm not, if this is you that had a bad relationship and you want a better one, I'm not accusing you of anything. But a lot of times, in one-on-one conversations with people, really the finding is, they actually, there is something to being the one that's, you know, had a bad upbringing. And so to fix it is actually harder than just kind of setting in that. And yeah, we can pray about it some. Oh, I hope my relationship was... And, I'm, and again, I'm not saying that's why our relationships with our parents are bad. That's not why mine and my mom's is so layered with difficulty. It's not be- I don't think it's because I like that it's layered in difficulty. But you know what? In college, it sure was. It sure was. Because it gave me something to be upset about. It gave me something to be the victim of and to like overcome in the midst of. Being honest. You know? It gave me something to like have fellowship with someone when they grabbed about their parents. It's like, oh yeah, me too, that's tough. You know? So I'm with you. There's such a weird, perverted sense of victimization in that. Why, why else would we not believe if that happened today?
And the, the thing about that too, and, and being, again, being open and, and trying to be very honest. So, yes, yeah, yeah. She's saying the, the, the interesting thing is we are, we are draped kind of in kind of the systems of the world and kind of the way it works. So she's like, you know, you can hear someone say you're, you know, this family member or this person, your friend has six months left to live. They have cancer. And we can say, okay, we'll love them well for this. We'll do well with that relationship. That is an inevitability. Sometimes it feels that way. And then other times it feels like, no, let's pray and maybe they'll be healed or maybe they'll have a year or maybe they'll do this. Right. So there's, it, it sounded like what she's saying is like, there's never a, our feelings and our responses aren't always consistent because we see the world all the time and we read stories that happened long ago and we hear stories that happen to other people. But to us, it may seem like, no, this is obviously what's happened. The doctor said there will be, God is telling us there are six months. And it's hard to navigate the two things. It's hard to navigate that. And so in the midst of that, we have to remember, no, God does do miraculous things, has done them, will do them still. And so we should pray accordingly. Now, here's though an interesting thing about that and that tension. I remember my uh, grandfather, when I lived on Guam, um, got cancer and got sick. And we'd, I'd lived with him for a little bit when I was a kid, really close to him, you know, like great, nearly parent kind of situation kind of deal. Not, not that that makes it more special than other people's grandfathers, but you know what I mean. It was a very close grandparent-grandson uh, relationship, whatever. He gets cancer and he gets very sick, and it was, a, it was like a three to six months to live kind of thing. And I remember our family's response, and, and most of our family would say that we were brought up in faith. He's a pastor, a retired pastor. My uncle is a pastor. We grew up, you know, praying and believing and hoping as a family for different things. So we started praying together about it. And there were very different prayers across the family dynamic, right? Some of us prayed that he would be completely healed and that we would see God's miracle and that he would get to live longer than 72 years old or, or however old he was at the time. And some of us didn't pray that right away. Maybe not because we didn't believe that would happen, but we just prayed differently. In the midst of prayer, we felt like, you know, we pray that we would use this time so very well. We pray that we would be wise about his treatment so that he's not, you know, overly sick during his last months, right? And I don't think that was a resigned to it kind of prayer, but it was just different. And then we had different prayers still that, that we would, as a family, start talking about things that matter more, and we would treat each other differently now, and we would do these things, not that it was bad before, but that but everyone across that spectrum had very different prayers. Some people held on to, my, my aunt in particular, held on to, oh, God is going to heal my father. I mean, until he passed away. That was her real, only prayer she gave. Does that mean she had more faith than me that didn't pray that? I, at, at the time, I didn't know. And it like, made me conflicted. Why can't I pray that? Or why am I not praying that better? Or why don't I have that faith, right? And is that more faith? Or is it different? In her communion with God about that, hopefully that is what God asked her to ask. And we're missing that about prayer. Or are we not missing it? We just haven't discussed it. In prayer, we are communing with God. And a lot of times we should rather start, what should we pray for? This is my feeling. This is what I want. This is what I want to pray for. Where are you leading me to pray is this other idea, right? And so, and again, we're not going to have like 
this 20-minute talk on prayer, and we're all going to understand how to do it, and everything's going to be fine, and we're going to be filled with faith on it. But that's what they're dealing with. They're dealing with whatever they're asking, they expect a different response. And when God, oh, yeah. Right. Say something, it's much more That's a good call. Um, you know, but whether it was an immigrant who barely spoke English, would you believe that God could speak through them, or someone who's illiterate and can't read? You know, so I think there's a social right. status here. And not even prophesying, but giving you God's answer, even the one you've been wanting, yeah. even more. Like this idea of like I've been praying, oh, I'm going to answer for you now, is oof, that's difficult, and that is a social, that is a tough deal. Because they would have obviously, if it's his angel, they're going to go check it out. (laughs) You assume, you assume, you know. Yes, all the way. And again, we have this thing of people praying for something and God answers and we don't recognize. And so here's part of this. Here's part of this. Is that as you are praying now, because most of you, you might not have told me or someone hear the most intimate thing you're praying about and the most difficult or most threaded of hope, you know? You might not have said that, but a lot of you have expressed what you're praying about. Some of you have been praying an extremely long time about it. And, and I know that some of us are on the verge of like, I'm just not going to pray about this anymore. It's been too long. It's too hard. This is, not, this is not it. I must be doing this wrong. And I know that. And I'm not trying to tell you you're not listening. I'm not telling you that at all. I'm not telling you you're praying something different than what God wants. That's not the lesson we should receive from this. I would just say what we're hearing and what we're all expressing and confiding to each other is there's no formula for this. There's just not. It's not that they didn't love their friend that they didn't believe it. It's not that they didn't love James enough to pray better. He dies. He's killed. He's murdered by the system for political points, to be mocked about it, and to be used that way. Their son, their brother, their person, you know? So there's no formula for this. It's just beautiful in its simplicity and it is difficult in its simplicity. It is beautiful in that it is sometimes convoluted by us and convoluted by our history, convoluted by our doubt and our systems that are all around us that are in control. 
But in the midst of this, whatever they can muster prayers together for Peter, in the midst of not believing this servant girl, whether because they don't trust her or because that's not what they were asking or whatever the reason may be, God brings him out. In the, the, the narrative and wisdom and beauty and plan, whatever you want to call it, God brings him out of prison and lets him live a bit longer. What happens to Peter eventually? Do we know? Eventually, what happens to Peter? He's crucified. Peter dies. He is killed later. I'm sure people prayed for him then, too. We, though, in praying, what they wanted to do, whether they had the faith or not, or they were confused or not, or they had crippling social hierarchy or whatever it was for them, they still prayed fervently. They were up late at night together in a room asking God to do something. Right? And we do the same. And we do so with our eyes, with our eyes open and our ears listening so that when the Holy Spirit does answer, when there is some sort of response, we understand and we are aware of it. And we don't say, no, that's not what I'm praying about, though. No, we're asking, he's not here, obviously. Rhoda, that wasn't Peter. Right? We do so in ways with ready for some sort of answer, some sort of response. And we do so fervently. And again, I know, we are not going to like encapsulate prayer in months of talking about prayer. Especially 20 minutes of us giving a back and forth. We're not going to figure it out. Right? You're not going to go home cured and your prayer life is right. Right. You know? But, but, we can learn in these two stories how to, to connect in prayer differently. We can learn how to listen. We can see a story of surprise in the midst of prayer when God did more than they asked, maybe. And sometimes when God doesn't act on what they ask. It's in the same scene. And we can, we can set our life to that. And we can continue in prayer. And we continue to do it together. Again, there is a difference between praying as an us and praying individual, individually in a group. There is a big difference. And so as we seek to continue to learn to do this, I think this should help us. And it's not our only guide. It's not the only way prayer happens. It's not the way it works. This isn't the method. But this is a, is a guide for us. And it helps us as we move forward. So let's, in that note, let's pray together.